0: morning. How are y'all this morning? Great. Well, I'm glad you've chosen to come out and worship with us today. We are going to be continuing in our series uh, studying the Gospel of Mark. And today we're going to be looking at the widow's offering. And it's a very small passage of Scripture. It's only about four verses long, but it contains quite a heavy message. And yes, we are going to be talking about money today. Now, I know when we talk about money in church, a whole lot of defenses start to go up. And people start to tune out and shut down and things get said like the church is only about money and all the church wants is my money. Well, let me just say a couple of things to that. First of all, if you know anything about who we are as TBA, meaning that you've taken the time to get involved and understand the vision that God has for this church, you will know that we are anything but all about money. We're actually all about helping a community in a world who lives in darkness and despair the amazing good news and love of Jesus Christ. We're about being the tangible hands and feet of Jesus in lives around us. We're about glorifying God's amazing name to a culture that needs him desperately. Yes, it takes money to run a church. It takes money to pay for the electricity and the mortgage and other bills. You would be surprised what it costs just to do what we do here every Sunday morning. And yes, it takes money to fund ministries, but we're definitely not all about money. And second, we don't want or need your money, not in a begrudging way. So I would say if you feel opposed to giving to a church or giving to this vision, then don't do it. Don't do it. We're not pressuring you to because God is our provider. He has always been the one who provides for our needs. And so as a church, we trust him in all things. And we especially trust him when it comes to providing financially for the needs of this church. And to this day, God has never let us down, and he's always been faithful. But I will ask this of you. Don't tune out today. Don't shut down today. Come with an open heart. Drop that opposition just for a little bit and see what God has to say to you today. Because I believe that God has something very important for all of us, but we won't hear it if we close ourselves off to the calling of the Holy Spirit. Besides, these aren't my words. They're the Lord's words. Money seems to be one of those things that nobody wants to discuss in church. But did you know that Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven? In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of every six verses deals with money. And of the 29 parables Christ told, 16 of them deal with a person and his money. So why did Jesus talk about money so much? I think it's because he knows what's at the heart of man. And if we all took a really good look, a good long look, at what really separates us from God, we'll find that for most of us, money and possessions are linked in there one way or another. So let's look at what God wants to say to us today. In our main passage of scriptures in Mark, it starts in, uh, it's in chapter 12 and it starts at verse 41. So if you have a Bible or you have an app, open up to Mark 12, verse 41, and it says this, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. And then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. And Jesus calls his disciples to him and he said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she was, has given everything that she has to live on. Now there are a whole lot of things that we could dig into in this small passage. And the most obvious thing that's lying right there on the surface is this call to sacrificial giving. This widow gave everything that she had in order to give to God's temple. And although poor and in need herself, she helped give to carry on the ministry of God. And yes, I believe that there are times that God calls us to give sacrificially. Another thing in this passage is the injustice and corruption of the current religious system that's going on. Because right before this passage, Jesus is condemning the teachers of the religious law on how they flaunt their righteousness, and while they're taking advantage of widows like this one by stealing their property, and this temple that, that the widow is giving to is supposed to be this storehouse, and it was meant that they took the contributions in and they distributed it to those who were in need, like this widow, but yet the ones who were in charge of that were keeping the money for themselves. But the thing I want us to look at today is the observation that Jesus makes. It's the motivation or the heart behind what's happening. Because there's a direct correlation to what happened over 2,000 years ago to what is still happening today when it comes to giving and our attitude toward it. So Jesus is watching as as these people are dropping money in the collection box. Now these collection boxes, they were made of metal and they were shaped like this big trumpet. And they didn't have paper money back in Jesus' time. They just had coins. The bigger the coin, the bigger the denomination. And when they would drop these coins into the receptacle, they'd make a lot of noise. So bigger, heavier coins made more noise than the smaller, lighter ones. And obviously, the more coins that you threw in, the more noise that they made. And so the rich people would come, and they would make sure that the noise that they made by giving an offering was heard to everybody around them, especially the priests who were, su- who were supervising And they wanted to make sure that the priests noticed and were impressed by what they were giving. And so Jesus is watching these rich people putting in these large sums of money. Now, I don't believe that Jesus was impressed with the amounts that the people gave. I think he was more interested in the manner in which people gave, which kind of begs the question, how do we give? I mean, do we go out of our way to make it obvious? Do we make sure that people know about it when we give? Or do we give without caring who sees? what is the attitude of our heart when we give? Do we do it begrudgingly or only because we feel pressure to give? Or do we give willingly and with a cheerful heart? See, Jesus is watching how we give even today. And so as he's watching, he calls his disciples over to make this point about how much the rich people were giving versus what the widow gave. And he says, The widow gave the greater offering. And here we see the difference between giving out of your abundance versus giving sacrificially. I mean, many people make the mistake of thinking that the larger gift or the larger offering means you have a larger heart. And Jesus reveals that although everyone gave a large amount of money monetarily, the poor widow gave the most proportionately. And so as I was studying this message and asking God what he wanted me to share with you today, because like I said, there's a lot of different directions we could go, The thing that kept coming over and over to me again was the question of why. Why did the widow give more proportionately than the rich people? Why weren't the rich people giving sacrificially? Why were they only giving out of their abundance? Because it seems to me that this pattern of that still happens today. Did you know that the poorest in our country give proportionately more than the rich do to charitable causes? Look at these statistics. People under $25,000 in an annual income give over 12% of their income away, where people over $200,000 only give 2.6%. I mean, if those figures look a little funny to you, it's probably because you don't expect people living near the poverty line to be able to give away 10% of their income, while people living on the other end of the scale only give away 2.6%. See, giving and income have this inverse relationship. Does that make you wonder why? It makes me wonder why. Why is that? Why is it that we who have been given so much by God and have experienced so much of God's lavish blessing in our lives, why do we not give? We should be giving more than anybody else, but we don't. Why? Why is that? And I believe it's because we're a slave. We're a slave to our wealth. Materialism has blinded us to the needs of others around us. It shackles us and it binds us. It dulls our spiritual senses. I mean, why should we feel a spiritual longing when we have so much which which we can artificially soothe the deep needs of our lives? I mean, we buy something new or we indulge in some new pleasure or interest. We keep ourselves so busy that we couldn't possibly get in touch with the deep spiritual longings of our lives. We're in enslavement. And we have our hope in the wrong place. See, the widow gave everything that she had to live on. She left herself with no means, which means she put herself in a position to have to completely rely on God. Now, it's one thing to be in that position when it happens beyond your control, but to know that you're about to do what you're about to do will put you in that position. That's something completely different. You might even say she was out of her mind. And it makes you kind of wonder, does this mean that Jesus wants me to put everything that I have in the offering box every Sunday? Well, I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying. I don't believe that the example of the poor widow is the standard for all of his followers today. Otherwise, I think he would have said so. But with that said, though, I think it's a valid question. I think a valid question is, what if Jesus did ask us to do what she did? See, he asked the rich young ruler to sell all his possessions, give it to the poor, and then come and follow him. And when he was illustrating the cost of being his disciple, Jesus said in Luke 14, that anybody who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. In context, this means that Jesus wants us to give up control of our lives for the sake of doing his will in everything and with everything that we have. Now this isn't easy to live out, but this is what we signed up for when we became followers of Christ. Jesus said we need to put him first, that we have to take up our cross and follow him daily, that we need to be willing to give up anything and everything that we have to release the grip on our possessions so that Jesus can have all of us. Because if what we we have is getting in the way of our devotion to him, then Jesus is going to challenge us to part with it. For the rich young ruler, his possessions were standing in the way of him following Jesus. And Jesus challenged him to free himself from the thing that stood in this way. Unfortunately, he went away without being able to do what Jesus asked. And I think that's why Jesus talks about money so much. He knows the hold that it has on us. He said this to his disciples after the rich young ruler walked away. He said, how difficult how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And see, Jesus warns his disciples over and over about the dangers and the hold that money has on us. In Luke 12, Jesus calls the man a fool who chooses security over being all in with God. Luke 12, 19, and I sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy eat, drink, and be merry. But God says to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you work for? Yes, a person is a fool who stores up earthly wealth, but does not have a rich relationship with God. Then a few verses later, he says, don't be anxious about your life. Seek the kingdom of God. And a few verses later, he says, sell your possessions, give alms, provide yourselves with persons who do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail. Again and again, Jesus pushes his disciples to free themselves from excess money. So the story of the widow is as much of a warning about the dangers of wealth as it is a lesson on sacrificial giving. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about the things that you have or the money that you make. There's nothing wrong with being rich. In fact, we are rich because God wants us to be. But it comes with this huge responsibility. Look in uh, verse... uh, 1 Timothy verse 6, and he says this. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command those who are rich in this present world. How many of you would say that you're rich? Raise your hand if you think you're rich. Okay, so you're just like me. When you first read this passage, you said to yourself, This doesn't pertain to me. After all, I'm not rich. I mean, I can barely pay my bills every month after the mortgage, utilities, food, clothes, and other necessities. I barely have anything left. I am not rich. Rich people are celebrities and doctors and lawyers. Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, those are rich. Those are the rich people Paul's talking about, not me. That's what I thought. But what does it mean to be rich? See, the problem that we have here in the United States and in other wealthy countries is that we have very little perspective. We measure our wealth in a relative fashion, comparing ourselves to others around us. And when we look at others around us and see what they have and the way they live, we say to ourselves, I don't have near the amount that they have, therefore I'm not rich. But the truth is we are rich, and I'm going to prove it to you, okay? The annual average household income in Florida is $50,800. $50,800. That's the average annual household income in Florida. Now, some of us make more than that. Some of us make less than that. But what I want you to see is that no matter what you make, comparatively to the rest of the world, you are indeed rich. Now, there's this website called the Global Rich List. And you can go to it when you go home, globalrichlist.com. And you can put in your income and find out how rich you really are. So if we put in this average annual household income of $50,800. Here is what we get. You are in the top point 3. The top point 3 richest people in the world. That means that 99.7% of the rest of the world makes less than you do. And what you make in a year would take the average laborer in Zimbabwe 49 years to earn. 49 years. The truth is you're rich. We are rich. Americans are rich. We are the wealthiest country in the world. On average, American households make about 58000 annually. In over 80% of the countries in the world, the average income is less than $10,000 a year. And 30% of them, it's less than $100 a year. We are rich. Even the poorest in our country are rich. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services sets the poverty line in America this year at an annual income of $12,140. And when you put that in the global rich list, people in America that live at the poverty line are still in the top 13% richest people in the world. So I think it's pretty clear that everybody in this room is rich. And Paul is talking to all of us. He's talking to all of us. But like I said, God's blessings have made us rich. He wanted it to be that way. Look at the last part of that verse. He says, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Okay, so don't feel guilty about being rich. But you have to understand the responsibility that comes with it. Because God wants us to enjoy what he's given us. But the problem comes when we put our hope in the wrong place. See, when we're looking to money and possessions to fill the emptiness that's in our lives, our hope is in the wrong place. When we begin to see our jobs and our bank accounts as our provider and our security, we have hope in the wrong place. When we begin to ignore the needs of others around us, while we enjoy our wealth, we have hope in the wrong place. When we begin to see all the things that we have as ours and not God's, then we've become arrogant and we have hope in the wrong place. And ultimately, it comes down to trust. We don't trust God with our financial well-being, even though he's the one who gave it to us, especially when it comes to giving back to him. I personally believe that tithing or giving is one of the hardest areas for us to be obedient to because it affects all other areas of our lives. I want you to look at this statistic. According to Barna and American churches, here's the breakdown of how giving works. 20% of members in churches give 80% of all funds. 30% of members give the other 20%, and half, which is crazy to me, half of the church never gives anything. Why do so few of us give when we've been given so much? And we give a multitude of reasons of why, but ultimately, again, it comes down trust. We don't trust God to take care of us. We trust our money more than we trust God. See, the widow had no choice but to trust God. There was no safety net for her. God was her safety net. She was totally and completely relying on the provision of God for her life. And I think giving is an indicator of how much I trust God. See, if I think I have to do it all myself, and that God is not a rewarder of those who trust him, then I'm not living as God wants me to live. The Bible says in Hebrews 11:6, 6, it says, It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists, and he rewards those who sincerely seek him. As Christians, we are assured that God is aware of our needs, and he will take care of us. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have such little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything everything he will give you everything that you need now see if i don't believe that deep down in my heart then i am never going to be able to give on any meaningful level at all look at second corinthians 9 it says remember this a farmer who plants a few seeds will get a small crop but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And then God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. See, we can be generous in our giving because we have a God who cares for us and provides for us. And the more that we seek things of the Spirit, the less material things mean to us. we could still use them and enjoy them, but we recognize who gave them to us. We understand that we don't own them, that we're merely stewards of these things, and we keep a loose grip on them. But let me be clear on something. God doesn't want your money. Let me say that again. God doesn't want your money. God doesn't need your money. He has everything. He owns everything but what God wants is your heart. Because, you know, he gave you free will to choose him. So he can't take your heart from you. You have to give it to him freely. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, God knows the hold that money and possessions have on us. He knows that it can and will separate us from the life that he wants us to live. He continues in Matthew, he says, nobody can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one or love the other. Or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. So who are you serving today? I mean, think about that. Who are you serving today? Ben, you guys can come up. The poor widow gave more than just all she had financially. She gave all of herself. The phrase, all she had to live on, in the Greek, can be also interpreted to mean she gave her whole life life. And that's really the more important thing to consider. It's not just have we given of our resources, but have we given of ourselves? Have we given our life to Jesus? Because of God's mercy, because he gave all for me, because Jesus sacrificed his life for me, I now give my all to him. I offer myself And my possessions for God's holy purposes, whatever they may be. See, I choose to live by a different pattern. I choose to live with a different mindset. A.W. Tozer said this. He says, not by its size is my gift judged, but by how much of me there is in it. No man gives it all until he has given all. And no man gives anything acceptable to God until he has first given himself in love and sacrifice. Have we given everything to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today in the story of the poor widow who gave everything, Lord, who she put her entire life in your hands. And God, my prayer is that we would do the same thing. God, whatever whatever it is, Lord, if it's money, if it's, if it's uh, hobbies, if it's habits, whatever it is that stands between you and us, God, we would remove that, you would take that away from us and break us down. God, so that our hearts can be all in for you, completely for you, because you sacrificed all for us. God, we can do that in return back to you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.